What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca. So you know what that means. It's another episode where we have ditched the couch. We've grabbed the mics. We are breaking down all the unpolished wreckage on the corner of audacity and advice. This is Unpolished Therapy. Good morning, Dr. Boca. Good morning, Rach. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am so excited for today. I have a little surprise for you. I love surprises. I know you do. I know you do. Okay, so you know where we live. It's a little bit of a superficial area. And as people are getting older, it is very rare not to find yourself in some kind of conversation about fillers and about procedures and lasers and beautification on some level. I mean, some people have gone so far as facelifts and anything that they can do to stay young. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like if we're all saying that here in Boca Raton... There's probably some listeners out there who are also saying this elsewhere, maybe not as pervasively as we are saying it here in Boca, but they are still saying it. And given that our listeners are probably, for the most part, in the age range of 30 to 60, 70, something there, I think it's a topic we can really relate to. So I dug and dug and dug. And I, well, I didn't really dig that far (laughs) because it's somebody I know. And maybe I know them because I've used them. Maybe I just know them from being around Boca. Who knows? But may or may have not. (laughs) I may or may have not, whatever. But I did come across somebody that I wanted to bring on to our show today. So what do you think? Are you open to this? Is this intriguing to you? Of course. Absolutely. Yes. Do you tell, do you tell. Okay. So I invited Kate Goldberg Hill who happens to be a licensed and board-certified nurse practitioner who graduated from the University of Florida. She has her bachelor's degree in nursing. She received a master's degree as a family nurse practitioner, and she has been practicing aesthetic medicine, which I, oh, I love that, with a focus on laser technology and dermal fillers for more than 10 years. And from her experience and working with some of South Florida's most renowned plastic surgeons, Kate has become an expert in facial aesthetics and advanced training in the analysis and treatment of the aging face. Oh my gosh, is that like not perfect for what we need? She's completed extensive specialized training in Botox and dermal filler techniques. She provides her patients with a wide array of cutting-edge services from laser treatments to non-surgical skin tightening for an entire comprehensive approach to facial aesthetics. So we are so excited, or at least I am like literally salivating to have Kate Goldberg-Hill join us today to answer all questions related to anti-aging, to aesthetics, to what comes after, how do we get started, what's the difference. So Rachel, I don't know if this is intriguing and exciting to you, but I literally cannot wait. 
Well, I mean, I don't even want to talk to her. I just want to know how to kidnap her and like just bring her to the house with her medical bag. I'm not going to let her out of the bathroom until I look 10 years younger. So yeah, let's bring her on. And we definitely can dive into this for sure, for sure. Boca Raton or not to the listeners out there, how lucky are all of us to be able to tackle this topic for sure? I am so happy. I'm literally, I love when I can find a guest that Rachel gets excited about and that I'm thrilled about. So Without further ado, Rachel, I'm going to introduce to you and our listeners, Kate Goldberg-Hill. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, no. No, no. We're way more excited (laughs) than you are. Okay. So, Kate, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. Um, Like I said, I may or may not know you from maybe some visits in the doctor's office and other (laughs) wonderful things that I may or may not have done. You know, HIPAA violations. (laughs) I say it, it, it's not a HIPAA violation, (laughs) but I do respect the fact that you can keep that confidential. So Rachel, like what kind of questions do you have? Because I have a whole list if you want to go first. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we can start sort of benign and then we can kind of go down the rabbit hole and, and get a little bit more unpolished as we go. I guess the first thing, Kate, and again, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I'm I'm sure. Sure, certainly in Boca Raton, I'm sure your dance card is filled up and triple booked. So thank you for making the time for us this morning. I can imagine why this would be a field that you would want to sort of hone in on. But why don't you tell the listeners why this field, you know, again, as a young girl first starting out in college and graduate school and so on and so forth, you probably don't even realize the prevalent nature of a industry like this that I always like to say is probably recession proof because no one has found the secret sauce to not age. But what was kind of your light bulb that went off when you were in school that that this was going to be your field of choice? So it actually didn't happen in school. I was more interested in doing emergency medicine. I just really, I like interacting with people. I like helping people. I knew I did not want a desk job where I was sitting in front of a computer all day. I just felt like my father was a physician. So I just always kind of liked medicine. And I initially, when I graduated nursing school, went into emergency medicine. And shortly thereafter, I kind of realized the hours, the lifestyle, it was Long term, I didn't see myself doing it. And I did want to go back and get my master's. And I was interested in becoming a nurse anesthetist, which is sort of like an anesthesiologist, but more a nursing kind of, it's very similar to anesthesiologist, but you know, you work directly with a doctor under the supervision of a doctor. And I sort of just fell into this plastic surgery office working very closely with the nurse anesthetist who put the patients out while obviously the plastic surgeon operated. And I just really fell in love with plastic surgery. And I got my master's degree in family nursing. And I was just so fortunate to kind of fall into this. And I'm a very artsy person. I always loved art. So it kind of connected me with the nursing and the art side of it. And when I started nursing in 2001, initially, and then graduated with my master's in 2006, so much has changed. The field just kind of exploded. There were like a handful of fillers, if that. There was really only Botox at that point. And I just saw that there was so much excitement and growth with this non-surgical type of procedures that were coming out. And it was just all kind of just came together for me. And I am so fortunate that I love what I do. And I feel like the best part about my job is that I do feel like I'm helping people. I might not be saving lives, but I do feel like I'm helping my patients because a lot of times when you know you look good, you feel good. And I yeah. think that's kind of 
for me, everything. Yeah, that's so true. What you're saying is when you look good, you feel good. And your job is not that different than mine, right? We're trying to get people to find that joy and that happiness and feel that sense of contentment with their life. And I do think that that is something and it's a gift that you can do. And the artistic part of that is so real because you go to see some of these people that get the injections or get the fillers or even go so far as to go the plastics. And that's exactly how they walk out of there, you know, with the duck lips and the faces that are pinned back with the wind. And so one of the things that I've appreciated is how natural you look and how natural you make the people that come into your office look. Yeah. I mean, my aesthetic is always, um, you want to just be yourself, maintain, maintain your look, or maybe just be a little bit more of a youthful, younger version of yourself. But my aesthetic is always like to have people guessing what you've done, but not necessarily look at you and say, oh my God, did you see her lips? Or, oh my God, what did she do to her, her cheeks or her Botox? She looks crazy. But with that being said, I do have a significant amount of patients who want that overdone, I would say that wow factor too. And it always comes back to the Kylie Jenner lips and they want that (laughs) drama, you know, and that is something I can also deliver, but it is definitely by no means my aesthetic when I look at someone and what I feel like is a youthful, natural looking woman. Hey, let me jump in here and have a zillion questions. So we might be jumping around a little bit. But to that point, I know here in town, and I'll probably get like canceled for saying this, but (laughs) I know a handful of women who I look at their face and they all kind of look alike. So it's Mm -hmm. like, we know exactly who they go to. And I don't know if like the doctor has like their staple Tuesday special or whatever, (laughs) but these women who once looked like their own unique individual features, they all legitimately look alike. So I say to myself, oh my God, who is that doctor? And why does he even have a license? So I love your kind of theory that you want to have that natural look and so on and so forth. But where does the rubber meet the road between you as a doctor and what you know is is too much is too much or enough is enough versus the patient who's saying, look, this is what I want. This is what I'm paying for. Keep those lips blowing up and I want to look like Donald Duck or I want to look like Kylie Jenner, et cetera, et cetera. How do you find the balance with that? So I get this all the time, this question, and I use kind of this analogy. I imagine myself, for example, being like a hairdresser and a woman walks into my hair salon and she has the most gorgeous, natural, long, blonde, thick, volume, gorgeous hair that women would pay a million dollars to have. And she would, let's say, were to come sit in my chair and say, I want you to chop it all off and I want you to dye it purple. Okay. (laughs) I'm like having a heart attack listening to this. Right. Okay. So this is what this woman wants, right? It's her hair. It's what she is asking for. So does the hairdresser do it or does she not do it? And if this hairdresser doesn't do it, that woman is just going to go find another one who will do it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I use that analogy a lot with patients because I think it kind of puts things a little bit in a different light as long as it's safe. And I know the patient. If it's someone off the street that I don't know and she wants to go from A to Z in one treatment, Mm -hmm. I tend to not do that. I do tend to say, okay, let's break this up into a couple sessions. But if it's someone I know and I call them my regulars, And I just know if if I don't give it to them, they're likely going to go somewhere else. 
mm-hmm. and likely going to get not the best treatment and then likely come back in my chair and then I'm going to have to fix the mess. So I, I kind of have to sort of feel it out a little bit. But for the most part, yes. Do I give patients what they want, even though it's not what I would necessarily want for them? I do, because who am I to say having short purple hair is not <laughs> for that? You know, right. that's and, the truth. Yeah, you know what? And I respect that as, you know, again, a similar career, although I don't make people look pretty at all, right? <laughs> but I sit here and they want something specific. And who am I to make any assessment on their life, their journey, and what it is? I can use my professional guidance and share with them the concerns that I might have. But if they choose to go back to the boyfriend for the 842nd time, that's on them. And I can just kind of tell them about the risks or the past behaviors that have led him there and try to explore it and understand it. But at some point, if I don't kind of just allow them to figure this out on their own with some guidance, they're going to just leave therapy and that's not going to be productive because they'll go someplace else and may or may not get good therapy or they may never go back into therapy and have a negative perception of it. So I'm just trying to make that correlation. So I do respect the fact that you kind of have to meet the patient where they are and work with them. So. And like I said, as long as it's safe, I mean, putting so much in a certain area in a short period of time could potentially be dangerous, right? So, you know, knowing facial anatomy and things like that really are important because you never want to put anyone in jeopardy of having any sort of adverse event or reaction. But, you know, I will tell you, like, back to what we were talking about when someone wanting something and, you know, you're sort of uncomfortable with it. Like I had a patient yesterday who she's never had lip filler before. She really didn't have any lips. She was probably around 55 years old, um, but gorgeous, beautiful woman, but just had no lips genetically. And she said, you know, she's been thinking about doing this for 10 years and I did her girlfriend and they look so great. So she wants me to do it. She trusts me, even though I've never met her before and she wants them to look natural. So In that situation, I say, show me a picture of what you want, Mm -hmm. because like everyone's version of natural could be very Mm -hmm. different. And sure enough, she pulls up this picture and it's like Kylie Jenner lips. Mm. So, you know, it's always interesting to me, like what I think is natural may not be what someone else thinks is natural. And I explained to her, look, that's like four or five syringes. You know, I was thinking Mm. we're going to maybe do one. (laughs) So (laughs) it's an interesting conversation to have with the patient. And that specific patient, for example, we did one. And I said, let's give it two weeks. And I said, I know you're going to come back for more, but I'd rather you come back for more than regret me overdoing you. So I can always add, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's sort of what I do in a lot of situations with patients like that. I want you to debunk one myth for me. It just drives me crazy. And, you know, you don't know me that well at all, but I'm hoping by the end of this conversation, you will, that I'm a very, very literal person, almost to a fault. So it drives me crazy. You know, look, whoever these marketing geniuses out there are in the field of beauty and preservation, they're the genius in the room. I'm the idiot in the room. But it just drives me insane that the whole industry is based on this phrase of like anti aging. And I'm certainly not a doctor, but am I correct or am I off base that we're not anti-aging? I mean, we are aging whether we want to or not. And that the preservation is really what the literal situation is here, correct? Correct. There's no such thing as anti-aging. Like you said, there's no fountain of youth, but we just want to maintain, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of it is just maintaining. I think a lot of it should be, there's a lot of things that are prevention, right? Mm -hmm. That's a Mm -hmm. big word I use with my patients is prevention. But correct, anti-aging is just at this point is a silly, silly term because we are all aging. 
right? We just want to age gracefully and we don't want to look crazy either. So easier said than done, but definitely you're right. Anti-aging, I believe, is a word that should just be totally, you know, anti-aging serums. And it's just so gimmicky. And I agree with you. It's, it's silly at this point to use that word. And I agree also because apparently I missed the memo that we should even be worrying about this until I got later in my life. So now we come to this word prevention and I'm like, oh shit, I missed the boat on the prevention. Now I just have to keep it. I've already aged and I just have to kind of stop it now from going completely off the train crashing into the house. So at this point, am I screwed? Or are there things that people should be doing in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? Are there like protocol that you recommend? Um, I want our listeners who are on the fence feeling like me that they missed the boat and should have started this 30 years ago. I don't want them to be in that position and I want them to know how to start. So like, are there kind of age appropriate, like, you know. Age appropriate is really hard because some women, it's all genetics. A lot of it's genetics, really. I knew it. I knew it. My parents suck. <laughs> so I always say, send your send your parents the bill. A lot of it is genetics. But, you know, a good portion, of course, is like, you know, you're using sunscreen, environmental things, smoking, alcohol. I mean, there's so many things like that. Um, Yo-yo dieters, a lot of times their skin elasticity is kind of all over the place. But it just really depends on the person. I always say, people say, when should I start doing Botox? That I get a lot. And I say, the second you look in the mirror and there's a line on your face that is not going away from animation. So you raise your brows, you see a line. Okay, you put your brows back down and it's still there, you know, or you put your brows together like you're angry and then you relax and the lines are still there. It's time to come in. For some patients, that could be 20 years old. For other people, it could be 40 years old. Botox, definitely, when you have resting lines, really, you want to get ahead of it. With that being said, I've seen patients who have really deep lines and they start doing Botox regularly and they almost completely can get rid of them. So I think with Botox, especially, it's never too late to really do Botox because it will prevent your current lines from getting worse always. Without a doubt, whatever age you are, it will definitely prevent them from getting worse. Is it going to completely get rid of it? It really depends on how far and how deep it is. And I do get patients who sit in my chair and I look at them and I say, look, I could do A, B, C, and D for you. But really what's going to take you to where you're going to be happy, it's going to be surgical. It is. And I'm fortunate enough that I work with two of the best facial plastic surgeons, in my opinion. And then we do have, of course, a new plastic surgeon, Dr. D. She does body work, not face work, but she's phenomenal as well. So I'm so lucky I can say, look, you really need to see one of our plastic surgeons who can really get you to where you want to be. A lot of people are afraid of surgery. They can't afford surgery. They're not ready for surgery. Medically, there could be issues there. So I like to just be realistic about what they can expect. And it really, it so just depends on the person and what they're willing to do. So I just have one quick clarification, Kate, when you say, and I appreciate that we all kind of go at different stages. When you say Botox, are you meaning literally just Botox or are there other forms of the injection that are equally as beneficial to Botox that are not fillers per se, but are botulism? Yeah. So, <laughs> so they're all basically, no, that's Botox. It's like saying like Tampax or right. Clean. Mm -hmm. It's right. kind of the known name for it. Botox yeah, yeah. is like the gateway. Most right? people it is. I will say now more and more, I feel like it's lips. 
I do really? get a lot of patients who do lips and I've never done Botox before. Oh. And they're sitting in my chair. I'm like, oh, they're definitely here for those lines all over their face. And they're like, no, no, I just want my lips done. I'm like, huh, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, I think Botox used to be a neurotoxin. Botox is under the category of a neurotoxin. But yes, definitely. I think people do it. They love it. And then I think it starts getting the wheels turning. Oh, what else can I do? Now let me start thinking about my lower face and other lines and things. But yes, are all neurotoxins the same? Yes and no. So they're all pretty much derived from the same thing, but they're chemically a little bit different. Durations are a little bit different. Again, I'm an analogy person because I don't like to get too medical with my patients. I like to break it down in terms that they can really understand. Mm -hmm. So I use this analogy a lot where I say, let's say the three of us all have a migraine, right? Mm -hmm. I may take an Excedrin because for me, Excedrin is the only thing that works over the counter for migraine. Lori, you may, you may, Tylenol may be the only thing. And then Rachel may need Advil or, you know, everyone kind of responds a little bit differently. So we do sometimes need to find the neurotoxin that works best for you. But I need I've propofol worked- where I can like take a nap <laughs> for three hours. <laughs> that would be my drug of choice. But, you know, just well, they're coming it. out. There is a neurotoxin that will be coming out. We will have it in our office as soon as it's available, which I believe is February. There's Ooh. been a lot of hype about it. Its duration is supposed to be six months. So it's twice as long as Botox, Dysport, and Xeomin, which is Anjuvo. However, it is double dosing. So you're going to need a lot more. So it'll be kind of interesting to see when that hits the market. It's going to change some things up. Kate, I have a question. And here on the corner of Audacity and Advice, Dr. Boca and I always say that if I have a question or if she has the question, chances are our listeners have the same question. I have made no secret over the course of my young adulthood now. I've done IPL. I have done Fraxel laser. I've done microneedling. And I think all of it truly is, again, to preserve my youthful look, if you will. But also because, let's face it, I can't just be dropping $10,000 here, $20,000 there. That's just not even remotely in the wheelhouse of my budget. So I've been doing all these little procedures over the course of time, but fairly consistently. And yeah, it does work, but I can't figure out if it's really just a band-aid that the Mm -hmm. joke is going to be on me. Because friends of mine, some older, some younger, who actually have gone under the knife and have had true plastic surgery will say to me, Rachel, you're you're spinning your wheels because at some point that's all going to wear off and you're going to have to do, not have to, but if you're looking to preserve your youthful look, you know, at some point you're just biding time. You spoke to that a little bit before, but let's dive in a little bit. Maybe you even want to talk about the difference between these non-surgical procedures and how much time are we buying here before we have to have real plastic surgery? So great question. Tough question. I have some surgical procedures here, uh, non-surgical procedures here that I perform regularly that I definitely call them a band-aid. Okay, Mm -hmm. so they're Mm -hmm. great for a person who, let's say, is just getting the beginning of some of that laxity in their skin, some textural stuff going on, and they will definitely postpone or slow down a little bit that need when they're going to need to get that surgical treatment. Or I have a lot of procedures that are great for patients who have had the surgical stuff. Because keep in mind, a lot of people don't realize and I, I always laugh a little bit with this. When patients get a full facelift, like you said, they spend a lot of money 
a lot, a a lot lot of money, a full facelift. And then they come back six months later and say to to the doctor, I still have a wrinkle here. I still have this little thing here. And the doctor's like, yeah, you still need to get your Botox and your, you know, your fillers Mm. and a little, and they're just blown away because they thought they would have the facelift and never have to do another thing ever Mm -hmm. again. It's really interesting when I I get patients like that, because I'm like, did you really think you were just going to get a facelift and that would be it forever? And, but there's a lot of things that, like I said, I do that will are great for patients who are just in the beginning stages, beginning to early middle stages or post facelift and are starting to get a little bit of that laxity, you know, as things come back. But you're right. A a lot of my patients, I will say to them, a facelift is really going to be what they need. But a facelift is really just, I always say it's rearranging the tissues. It's tightening, it's pinning, it's lifting. You're still going to need to get IPL, you know, IPL. You're not ever not going to get pigmentation on your skin again. You're still going to need to get books. You're still going to need to get filler. And like I said, a lot of these other things to maintain the facelift. So I want to tell you two quick stories, just sort of anecdotal. One, this is many, many years ago, way before I ever thought that this would be in my wheelhouse. And, and you know, God forbid, you know, I, I don't need any of this. No and way. I was at a doctor's office with a family member. And just for shits and giggles, because I thought that I was like above all this, I was like, so just for argument's sake, like, what do you think I need to get done? And I hadn't had <laughs> anything done at the time. And I'll never forget it because it feels like yesterday. And I was like, you know, horrified. He got, you know, that long Q-tip out, right? Mm-hmm. And he starts like playing around with my face. And he started to point out all of the things that I really did in his eyes need to be done. I was taken aback. Again, you know, I say it tongue in cheek as if, God forbid, I should have to have anything done. But it wasn't until he pointed out what was going on in between my eyebrows or what my upper eyelids look like. And at that point, there was like the point of no return. Every time I looked in the mirror, that was the first thing I saw. Mm -hmm. And it just absolutely drove me crazy. And with all due respect, he's an excellent surgeon. I don't even think he practices anymore. This was many, many years ago. But I'll never forget how it felt that like, I was hoping that this professional would be like, Rachel, what do you mean? You're absolutely (laughs) stunning and beautiful. (laughs) You don't need anything. So that kind of bothered me. I have an anecdotal story that actually relates to your practice. So during COVID, what did we all do? We were all Zooming, right? On right. like Not only professionally, but personally and what have you. And I'm not the type of person to notice anything ever, but all I could do was stare at my neck and my under eyes. Like that's all I could stare at. So I was talking to a very good friend of mine who better be listening to this podcast because she adores you. So Susie, if you're listening you, to Susie. this, see, everybody loves Susie. So Susie said, you need to go and make a consult for a facelift. And I was like, Susie, how could you say such a thing? And she's like, just go. Like, what else are you doing during COVID? So I made an appointment with two plastic surgeons. And I had a consult with Dr. Mascaro in your practice, Mm -hmm. who's exceptional. I mean, lovely, lovely, lovely man. Um, And if his face isn't perfect, I don't know whose face is perfect and natural, which is what I loved. So anyway, it took me a year to get into him from the consult, which, you know, to me, everybody else would be like a gas. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So by the time I could actually get in for the actual procedure, I'll actually be old yeah. enough to need it, right? So I'm on was... his wait list now and it'll be five years. So <laughs> there, you, there you go. Um, so they did tell me though, after I went for the consult that it would be like nine months. So it wasn't so tragic. But anyway, not doing it yet. But when I went to see him, 
he didn't do what you did, what your doctor did, Rachel. What he did to me was I said, so what do you think I need? Mm-hmm. And he said, honestly, what I think you're going to need and what you think you are going to need are two very different things. He said, mm-hmm. so tell me the things that bother you most, okay. right? And so I told him the two things that I knew are surgical that are not, you could, you know, jack me up so the cows come home and make me Elsa and it won't matter. I'll be frozen, okay. but I'll still have this sagging skin. So what was interesting about what he said, and I was fascinated by this, he told me that there is a doctor in Italy, I think it was Italy, that refuses to do facelifts on anybody over, and I believe he said 40. It could have been 50, but I believe he said 40. And like, I was aghast at this. I'm like, you won't do it over that age? Like, I don't understand. Here I am, have like almost bypassed that age, if not already, depending on which number he said. What do you mean? Like, I missed the boat again? Like, I could just keep missing this fucking boat. I'm not going anywhere. He said, the reason being is because our elasticity and our um, the, the density or the fullness that we have in our skin is at its prime. So this doctor wants to do, in quotes, preventative. You're working with the best of the best. Why wouldn't you want to do it then so that the outcome is the best possible outcome you could have? And besides the fact if I could get past that, I missed the boat. And that morning period, I was like, oh my God, that's genius. That was actually... But is it, Kate? I, mean, let's, I, I wonder if Kate agrees or disagrees with that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it puts her I out of business. I disagree <laughs> with the fact that if you don't have the facelift by 40, you said 30 or 40. What did it you say? It was either 40, 40 or 50. 40 or 50. It, was, it was either 40 or 50. I can't I, remember, I but would, it was a I, low number. I would disagree with that. Okay. For sure. I will say that there are more and more women coming in and definitely getting surgical procedures under the age of 40. I have seen a big spike in that. I would say just in the past five years, I'm turning 40 in a couple months. And I feel like Dr. Mascara has been trying to get me to do something. (laughs) But I have two babies. I was pregnant for two years, like back to back. So I just have a lot of other stuff going on. But I always think to myself, if I didn't have the kid situation, which, you know, would I or would I not? Because um, two of my coworkers who are younger than me have both had facelifts. And actually, one of those girls is having a second facial tightening skin procedure, I believe, either this week or next week. Uh, so wait. I'm like the old hag in the office right now. Okay. And if our listeners could see Kate, there is nothing <laughs> on her face that is not looking so natural, but yet well, perfectly situated. Yeah, like you look rest. I was always taught at a very early age, whatever work you have done, you want to look like you were potentially on vacation. You went to a spa for a weekend so that someone would look at you and be like, oh my God, you look so rested. Like, were you away? Not, holy shit, you've been hanging out with like that cat woman and now we have to send you on botch <laughs> on the e-channel with these doctors who have to like right. recreate the problem. Right. Well, I am very tired because I do have two babies, but I definitely have so much Botox and filler in my face that everything's just kind of like keeping me at bay right now. I would definitely look a lot worse if I didn't have what I have. And I, and I always tell my patients, they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I do everything. Obviously I disclose what I do, but I never feel like I look 
overdone because I, I feel like Rachel or Laura, I don't remember who we were talking about spacing things out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Most of my patients come see me, I would say every other month or, or once every three to four months. Mm-hmm. And definitely they never look at me and say, oh my God, what? I do little things every month, every other month just to maintain. But but I do feel like Dr. Mascara, I get a little, you know, he, I think he's ready to take a scalpel to my face and he, he would if he could probably. But I don't know. I, I think these patients and my coworkers who've had these things done, I do think they look great. Do they look different? No, I think they don't look that different. I don't think anyone ever looks at them and says, oh my God, did you have a facelift? I definitely don't think that, which is true. Like they, they look good. So I think there's something to be said of doing things when you're young. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a new thing. You know what I, I want to mention, um, you know, you, you talk about like poking the bear or that Botox is sort of like the gateway and then you get that little taste and you want to mm-hmm. keep going and going. I have kind of figured out in my own journey and I will be honest to say I've been very conservative. I really have not done a ton. I think I'm blessed with some pretty decent genes. What damn I you. have found, <laughs> what what was that, Dr. Boca? I said, damn you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I thought I, I thought I heard a compliment in there. I just oh. wanted you to repeat it for the well, you do look gorgeous. Lori, you have good genes too. Thanks you have you. very good genes. I know Thanks your genes you. cool. You have a good you have good genes. <laughs> what I was gonna say though is that there's been a tell as of the last couple of years that kind of kind of bugged the hell out of me. And it is something now I see as markers in other women too. And let's call it what it is, ladies out there, and even men. I want to get your thoughts on men and their preservation as well. But my hands, I have to tell you, there is that expression like, these are my mother's hands, or these are my grandmother's hands, or these are my great-grandmother's hands. I look at my hands all of the time and I'm like, God damn it. I never should have sat in the sun. I should have listened to my parents, my grandparents. And I've actually had laser procedure on my hands. Forget my face for a minute because I cannot stand looking at those sunspots. And sometimes I see these women who really are all, you know, you light a match and like they run for the hills. That's how you can (laughs) tell who's had work and who hasn't. But it's like, did anyone tell them to look down at their hands? Their hands look like their great grandmothers. Wait. Yeah. I have to tell you a story. I don't mean to, c- to cut you off, but oh, no. this is a crazy story about the hands. I have to look at my phone because it might have been Dr. Mascaro. I was on a plane ride home several years ago, way before COVID, maybe four years before COVID. And I was sitting next to somebody very famous in the, well, was married to somebody, a big, big, big exec, top exec in one of the cable shows. And of course, me talking to everybody, I got the her whole life story and we became very good friends. She was coming down to Boca slash Delray to get fat transfer into her hands. And because I I was like, wait, I I don't even understand any of that. I think that's just fat transfer from where because you're emaciated. There is no fat in you. So I always was like, oh, is it like a blood bank where you also have a fat bank and you can borrow someone else's fat and transfer it somewhere? But apparently that's not how it works. Anyway, she texted me the pictures after the fact. Like I told you, I really became friends with her. She texted me the pictures after that. I was amazed. It got all the veins, all yeah. the ditches. And rejuvenation is an easy, easy thing. So I don't do fat transfer to the hand. Um, that's definitely more of like a surgical procedure. But definitely I put filler in the hand all the time. Oh, and no. uh, it's instant. 
There's zero downtime. You get great results. There's longevity to it. The IPL, I play tennis a lot. One of my, a girl on my tennis team, we play tennis together. We were playing together three weeks ago. She looks great, but her hands were bothering me. I'm like, you got to come in. I have to get the spots off your hands. You're driving yeah. me crazy. They're ugly. So, I'm sorry. He yeah, to say it. They're just ugly. She's doing all this other stuff. And I just, I said, please come in. I have to do those hands. And she actually came in today and I did her hands. And yeah, I think it goes the whole picture. And Mm -hmm. and you're right. You have this, all this tightness and, you know, and then the hands can really show age, especially Mm -hmm. in Florida with tennis players, golfers. I'm just driving, holding the steering wheel, getting all that sun in Florida. Yeah. I'll tell you, to your point on that, being in Florida driving, I think that's when I did start realizing what the hell is going on with my hands. I mean, I really was bent out of shape about it. And even the left side of my face Mm -hmm. had more sun damage than the right because being the The driver. And you're more mindful of that. And about a year or two ago, when I was still driving my kids to school, after I had had the Fraxel or whatever, and I was all mummied up to begin with, and I looked like Freddy Krueger for three weeks, Mm -hmm. but I would like wrap myself up in these towels and whatnot and put a big hat on. And the kids would get in the car and be like, what is going on with you? You look absurd. And I'm like, I just, I back to the self-preservation or, mm-hmm. or you know, the anti-aging, if you will. I was not going to go down that rabbit hole again of having to redo it as quickly as I probably will have to redo it. And I'm all covered up when I'm in right. the car now. I always tell my patients, especially my younger patients, We're so lucky now, or they're so lucky now, because a lot of like makeup now has Mm -hmm. SPF in it. Growing up, there was no such thing as makeup or any kind of, you know, creams with, it was either sunscreen or it was makeup. Mm -hmm. I always tell, especially my younger patients, when they talk about skincare, what sunscreen was, I say, I don't even care. Just make sure your makeup has sunscreen. Whatever you're wearing every day has sunscreen because it really is going to save you. Like, absolutely. And and they always say, well, I say, I used to say at least a 30. Now I changed it and I say at least a 50. Mm. Mm, interesting. Okay. And I think it really makes a difference. So, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, my family moved down here when I was in middle school and nobody put sunscreen on. Like we got no. fried. We got fried, right? We had no idea. But I want to know how many of our listeners out there look down at their hands to see and for the first time did what Rachel's doctor did and pointed out, wait a minute, you need to now go get your hands done. But it is, look, I've noticed even in the last 10 years, having had basal cells and running that route because I grew up down in Florida, I'm so mindful of sunscreen. My makeup has sunscreen. My kids resisted and resisted. And I'm like, you you want to put it on, I'm telling you, because otherwise you're going to turn out to have the right. issues that I've had. Right. Yeah. It's, it's some people always say we sell very, very high end skincare here um, because, of course, our patients are paying mm-hmm. tens of thousands of dollars for surgery or even all these non surgical procedures. It all adds up and it's about protecting their investment. And nothing drives me more crazy than a patient who spends a ton of money on getting IPL and getting all the pigmentation off and everything else. And then they're not going home and they're not protecting their investment. Again, analogy queen over here. My analogy is always when you come into me and you get a laser, like an IPL, for example, it's getting rid of all that pigmentation, a lot of the browns and reds on the skin. It's like when you go to the dentist and you get your teeth cleaned by a hygienist, right? She's getting in there. She's really cleaning your teeth. She's polishing them. She's getting rid of the plaque, the tartar. They're going to look great and sparkle and shine. But if you don't go home and brush them, Mm -hmm. it's sort of defeats a purpose. So I always say like the skincare is like your toothpaste and think of that as your everyday 
brushing your teeth every day is just as important as going and getting, you know, of course your teeth cleaned, if not more. Mm-hmm. So skincare, I don't think it has to be expensive. Like you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on skincare, but skincare is very important. That is an important conversation. I think that often gets missed with, with patients and providers just don't have the time or there's a lot to skincare because it's a big part. But it is a little overwhelming though. You mm-hmm. go to a doctor's office and again, you have all of these incredibly expensive products and you know that's what you guys stand behind. And I get that. I, I've, you know, subject to that as well. I've spent thousands of dollars on, on creams and gels and serums and this mm-hmm. and that. And I have 14 different steps that I do in the morning and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day too, not everyone can afford right. to keep up with that maintenance. And then you go to the grocery store or you go to the pharmacy and there's aisle after aisle of much more affordable products. And how do you sift through the bottom of the barrel to the top line, top line? And there's got to be some type of balance. Dr. Boca, I mean, you say in our mental health conversations, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't have to be the best of the best. It doesn't have to be the bottom of the barrel, but we're looking for a balance. And I wonder, Kate, how do we try to talk to the masses out there so that they don't feel as though they're driving the piece of crap car when they can't afford to be the Rolls Royce. Okay. So I always tell my patients, do not buy anything at Sephora skincare. Do not buy anything at a department store skincare. Okay. I think there's, you either buy from your dermatologist or your plastic surgeon's office because it's medical grade. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's stuff you can't get at the Sephora's and the the Saks Fifth Avenues and the Neiman's and all, you know, the Mm -hmm. Macy's. I I think you either get the medical grade stuff Mm -hmm. or the CVS stuff. Or what I do personally is I, you know, both. You go high, low, high, brow, low, brow. I do go high, low. We sell here. I have a variety, definitely. And I rather you leave here with something good than going to the La Mer counter at Saks Mm -hmm, and spending mm -hmm. $300 on something that smells good and feels good, but is doing absolutely nothing for you long-term for your skin. And not for anything, not to bash on La Mer, but like, I would think, again, and what do I know? Not much, but you're paying $8 zillion for the packaging. And the fact that like that little jar of nothing that costs $8,000 weighs 15 pounds, like that is what drives me crazy. Again, back to the marketing. How much do you think they have to pay Gwyneth Paltrow or Natalie Portman (laughs) to be on a TV commercial? So I always say, if if it's advertised on TV or there's a celebrity behind it, do not buy it. Mm -hmm. You are spending money on that and you're not spending money on getting quality ingredients. So we carry in my office um, Skin Medica, which is made by Allergan, who makes Botox and Juvederm. It's medical grade. It's not like an advertised type of a thing. Mm-hmm. They're not paying. They're paying for the science. So I really like those products. We carry SkinCeuticals as well. They have medical grade products that we carry. Um, but I also tell my patients, like we have other products that I love that are you know in the the twelve dollar range. I mean, I use a twelve dollar moisturizer every day, and I and I also use a three hundred and fifty dollar anti aging CNE serum with stem cells at night. So I think it's it's finding what works best for you, what's in your budget. And I worked, I had the opportunity many many years ago to work with a very famous um, dermatologist in Manhattan on Park Avenue, and her name is Doris Gay. She has a podcast. She's all over the place. She's on the talk. She's like the correspondent. And she, I love her. She's real. And Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. And there were actually two celebrities that were there that day. So I was like geeking out because of course I was, (laughs) this was very early on when I started. 
And um, it was like through a family friend that I was able to shadow her. So she told patients, and I was there, to go to CVS or Walgreens or Dwayne uh, Reed. Reed. <laughs> I'm a Florida girl, but yeah. And she said to get the Olay in the red jar. It's like their Pro X whatever, because it has retinol in it. Mm-hmm. And she like literally told every single patient like that was the product to get. And she, I'll never forget that because I just couldn't believe that she was telling these celebrities to go and get, wow. you know, this drugstore product. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. And, and you know, for me, it's not about skincare sales. I just want my mm-hmm. patients to use something that they can afford and that's going to really protect their investment because I want my patients to do the laser procedures. You know, it, it's not about selling them the most expensive product. For right. Me. Okay. That makes sense. And I hope the listeners have absorbed that, no pun intended, but let that sink into your pores. You said celebrity, you said famous, and now I kind of, you know, you opened up the door and I want to jump into a different topic within the realm of this because it's something that kind of hits a nerve with me. And I'm not sure why. And this is where Dr. Boca, I want you to kind of jump in because it might tap into some of the feelings we have about ourselves from, I guess, how we feel about our inner beauty versus our outer beauty and just Mm -hmm. aging in general. I think a lot of us have a tough time with it. But Kate, something that strikes a chord for me is when I see celebrities on both ends of the spectrum and the pendulum really does swing so far to the right and so far to the left relative to what they've done. You know, you look at someone like Jennifer Gray or Courtney Cox that are like almost unrecognizable Mm -hmm. to what we knew them to be when they were stars at the height of their career. But then you look at others like Justine Bateman, right? From Mm -hmm. Family Ties or even, you know, and I hate to say this, maybe I'll I'll get canceled for this one too, but SJP. I mean, Mm -hmm. Sarah Jessica Parker, who I absolutely adore. And yet I guess she's taken the stance that she's going to age, quote unquote, gracefully. She's not going to do a damn thing. But there's just something in me that like, it's just like, oh my God, these were women who were, I guess, idols for us. Forget their craft and how talented they are, but from that real beauty perspective and their whole je ne sais quoi. And if they're aging, that means we're aging too. (laughs) And we see it so visibly And then you compare it to these other actors and actresses out there that they are really doing everything that they can to stay looking like a teenager. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on this from you, Kate, and then Dr. Boca, how you see it from the mental health angle. I don't, it's tough. I mean, when you're specifically talking about celebrities, but even even just just young girls, I mean, there's so much pressure now to look good, right? I mean... There's so much pressure um, just with with social media and and FaceTiming and, and but but especially for these celebrities, you know, their livelihoods depend on it. Exactly. And I always joke with my husband that our livelihood depends on on my looks too. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I get a pimple and I'm like, oh my god, it's bad for business. But definitely, <laughs> you know, I feel for these women. I do because yeah. I feel bad because I'm sure they're just trying to keep their preservation so they can maintain in their mind their careers. Mm-hmm. Although, like mm-hmm. you said, Sarah Jessica Parker, she's got this crazy career, and she. But you know, she's. I mean, have you it, seen her hands? Actually, have you seen her hands? Because They're that's bad. something I've noticed for I years. No. Mm-hmm. Well, take a look next time you see her interviewed or whatever. And again, Sarah Jessica, I love you, girl. <laughs> I want to be you. Lady but I think it's almost some women too, celebrity or not, it's like they take a hard line that, you know what, I'm going to go against the grain mm-hmm. and I'm not yeah. going to do 
anything. And I wonder if that, and again, and that's where Dr. Boca, I want you to jump in. I wonder if the act of not doing something and taking Mm -hmm. such a hard line is what they're doing for a particular stance. Well, look, I can't get into the heads of Sarah Jessica Parker and all of these actors and actresses, although I wish I could because I love Sarah Jessica Parker, but they would be amazing case studies to look at. But I do agree with Kate, not only the social media influence and just it's everywhere. I mean, you are inundated with this just in advertisements, whether it's paper, whether it's doctor's offices, whether it's magazines, whether it's social media. So I think it's ingrained in our culture at this point. But I do think that the people that have a livelihood and need to make money are very much obsessed with that and need to do that. And they know that they're being judged and criticized. And so they feel insecure about the perception that people are going to have on them. And then even the people that take the hard stance, think about it in anything that we talk about that goes in the opposite extreme. That's also potentially a sign that they too are defending against something. And you know what? You know my saying, Rach, I say it all the time, living in either extreme is not good. I think it's great that they don't have that. It's almost like they're doing the complete opposite to defend against that insecurity that they have. Are they trying to make it like, I'm above this. I don't have to do it and hear me roar. And it's hear me roar. Or we can look at the other side and say, oh shit, if I do that, then I have the excuse Mm-hmm. for why I look why the way I that don't I do. Look that, so, yeah, right. yeah. And therefore, yeah. you know, I, I'm already insecure about it, but this is the least harsh way of getting the judgment because I'm already, it's that person who puts out ahead of time that they're doing something wrong or they're not going to do it or what have you so that you, whatever you say to them isn't going to hurt or isn't mm-hmm. going to be as damaging. So um, I rubber, can, you're a glue. Whatever, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks onto you. Go peewee. <laughs> I love that. The fact that I knew that that was peewee is amazing. So I, I can't really get into their heads, but I'm sure it's a little bit of all of that. And I do feel for this younger generation. I remember when we were in college, it was all about body image in magazines, right? And that they would always pick the skinniest models and everybody would develop the eating disorders when they got to college. And it was all because of a social influence, right? And we used, and now we have come to find out it's not just about the social influence. It is a combination of the social influence and familial upbringing and stress and all of that. But now look at this generation I know I have a daughter. I know Kate has a daughter. You may may be blessed or don't or not be blessed, but men have eating disorders also. But this access to, like Kate was saying, all of this beauty surrounding you, Mm -hmm. it feeds on an insecurity. It's very hard not to compare yourself to all those people around you. I mean, 14-year-old girls do not look like 14-year-old girls did when we were 14. And I certainly do not look like the 14-year-old girls. And I would have felt horrific about myself because I was larger and I was fuller and I would have been like, oh my God, you know, I can't wear my ass hanging out to prom or whatever the case may be. So it we're swimming upstream and it's very hard. And so we, you know, even the fact that we're doing a podcast today about prevention and anti-aging, for lack of a better word, there is a, a part of me that sits there and say, what am I helping to promote this need to keep up with the Joneses and to not embrace what's natural? The mm-hmm. truth is, that's not my reality. And I think that, like Kate said, 
it's really important to keep it, in my opinion, natural, but to help and assist in along in the process. So I'm okay with it, but I am sensitive to it because I do have children and I mm-hmm. want to be sending the right message. Right. So again, I think it's a balance. Everything in life is a balance. And when we sit on the, those extremes and we do too much, or we're only talking about body, or we're only talking about food, or we're only talking about restriction or external validation and external looks, we're doing a disservice to our society. And when we don't pay any attention to it and we, you know, eat anything we want or don't work out or don't do anything because we're taking this hard stance, we're hurting ourselves also and not doing anything for society. So that's the long answer to a question of, I really don't know. (laughs) How was that? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I think the listeners do too. Kate, I can't say thank you enough. I'm wondering if there is there anything we haven't covered that maybe you think is important for the listeners to know just in the aggregate? I think we kind of hit on it where it's never too late to get started, but sooner is always better. Okay. <laughs> and prevention, 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 really just taking care of yourself and long term, it makes a big difference. It really does. Can I just tie to that? When you say taking care of yourself, I would like to add the tagline to that also, just as a mental health professional, that that goes not only with taking care of yourself with injections and and IPLs and lasers and, you know, using good products, but also mental health, doing exercise, what you put into your body. Right. Drinking water. Drinking water. Exactly. I mean, this is a, a package deal. I mean, I love you, Kate. There's only so much magical powers you have in an injection or a laser. We're not going to take a person who looks gorgeous because we've injected them, but has all this trauma history or is sitting on the couch and eating all these potato chips and being lethargic and lazy or working themselves to death, it's going to catch up and show visible signs of wear and tear no matter how much we do. And so I kind of just want to look at the totality and the holistic part of this. None of us have the magic wand, the magic remedy, but all of it together really can make for us to kind of match the inside with the outside, right? And that's really our goal is to be that solid chocolate Easter bunny that I talk about quite often. Yeah, definitely. Listen, I think the goal, of course, easier said than done. You know, we hear all the time, oh my God, he or she is so beautiful or handsome, but mm-hmm. but they're not on the inside. And the inside truly is where it starts. And then that's mm-hmm. what radiates out. And if we can match our inner beauty with our outer beauty, even if we do need a little needles to help with that outer beauty, then, you know, we're ahead of the game and, and we have that balance and, and we're filled up from the inside out. Kate, how do our listeners contact you if they have further questions, if they want to make it a point? If they want to get on your books, how can they find you? So my follow me on Instagram at Boca Botox. And I work at my practice, which is Fifth Avenue Plastic Surgery. We're located in Delray Beach. Gorgeous office, phenomenal physicians here. And I never charge for a consultation, whether it's via Zoom or over the phone or via email. A lot of my a lot of people send me photos just to give some questions or just give us a call. Look us up, www.fifthavenueplasticsurgery.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Follow follow us online at fifthavenueplasticsurgery.com as well. 
Absolutely. DB, any final thoughts on your end? No, I'm just so excited that we had this opportunity, Kate. You know I adore you. True confessions, if y'all didn't read between the lines. Kate's jacked me up a million times, right? And You so, may or may not have been in her chair, but I, now you're saying. Right, I you may probably or may not. Probably have been. Probably has. I actually have an I appointment next week. I can't say anything, Pippa. I'm not saying No, anything. no, no. I'm calling myself out. I actually have an appointment right after Thanksgiving just to make sure that I'm frozen for, you know, the holidays and everything. <laughs> But I say that lovingly and appreciatively because what Kate is saying on the podcast today is so very true. She will work with you where you are, what you need. She's very honest about the things that can't be done non-surgically. She will refer you to the doctors in there that are a good fit for you, that could maybe do the things that you want them to do. There is no pressure. Kate always makes herself available if you want more, if you have questions and all of that. So I brought her on here because she's relatable. She gets it. She's so much fun when I go in there. I feel like I take over two or three appointments, not because she's jacking me up with that much stuff, but because we're just schmoozing. Um, yeah, we but have a good time. We, we definitely do. have a we, good time. We always we have do. a good time. And I really, not to interrupt, but I really want to thank you guys for asking me to do this. This is my first podcast. So, and you know, Lori and I have been talking about this for a long time. So I'm glad it finally came together. I had so much fun and I'm just so appreciative of you guys, including me and asking me and having me and really thank you so much. Well, the we pleasure are was thrilled ours. to have you. And if you're really that appreciative, I'll be sending you my headshots <laughs> and you can tell me what we're going to do. Anytime. Botox <laughs> on the house. Thank All God. right. I love it. You guys, you heard that first from Kate. <laughs> So I'm holding you to it. You guys, She's like, cut, you so cut, right know, right? You're like, wait, edit that out, edit that out. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Kate, you are beautiful on the outside for sure. And now I see your inner beauty is radiating through. Dr. Boca, thank you for bringing what a beautiful gem and talent on the show with us today. I always say to our guests, you are now a friend forever of the show and you're welcome back anytime. Okay. To the listeners out there, if you have questions, comments, concerns, we will link Kate's information on the bottom of our page through any of the outlets that you get our podcast. And you can always reach us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Unpolished Therapy. And of course, on Twitter, where we could use some Tweaking. Botox tweaks there too at <laughs> Untherapy. But from the corner of Audacity and Advice, we thank you so much for spending your Wednesday morning with us. Kate, thank you a million times over. Thank you, guys. And thank Dr. You. Boca, thank you for your time and attention as always. This is Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca. It's been another episode of Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.